Hey y'all, and welcome back to my Big Fat Recovery Season 2, Episode 2. Thanks for being here. Today we are talking to my friend Lauren about her experience going to weight loss camps and how that led to her eventual eating disorder and recovery. We talk a lot about recovery friendships as well since Lauren and I met in a recovery support group. So I hope you enjoy it and let's dive right in. All right, (laughs) y'all. Here's the thing. I need you to know that Lauren and I recorded this episode months ago. This is one of the ones that I recorded thinking it would be part of season one and then life happened and it wasn't. And then recently maintenance phase released an episode about weight loss camps that honestly, as usual, was immaculate. Um, But yeah, my big fat recovery thought of it first maintenance phase Just kidding. I love you. Please uh, never change. Um, But yeah, so I would actually highly encourage people to check out that episode um, after hearing Lauren's story today. If you don't already listen to Maintenance Phase, this isn't an ad for it or anything. I just genuinely really enjoy their show. Um, They do a great takedown of different diet culture related things, um, wellness trends, concepts in the weight loss world um and yeah the episode on weight loss camps was uh heartbreaking but also really really informative so um I do mention an article in this episode with Lauren which is what got us talking about it in the first place I'm gonna link that in the show notes um and I'm gonna try and link maintenance phases podcast as well um so let's jump into the interview with Lauren so Welcome, Lauren, to my Big Fat Recovery. Thank you so much for having me, Molly. Yeah, I am so excited that you're here because not only do we have a really important topic and that we've both noted we don't see a lot of conversation about, but I'm also excited that you're here because you are one of my best friends. I don't know if you knew that. I kind of like you just a little bit. Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> no, seriously. So, so grateful to have you in my life for so long. Oh, thanks, buddy. Yeah. So, um, just so that y'all can get to know Lauren a little bit and our relationship, um, I met Lauren in drum roll, please, a eating disorder support group. <laughs> yeah. Molly and I met um, our sophomore year beginning of our sophomore year we were both really struggling with our relationship with food and our bodies and connected pretty immediately but it was a little bit of time before we became really close friends and we lived together in college and she's definitely been a really big person for me in terms of support over the years um, through my own journey and I hope I've been able to be a support for her as well. Absolutely Lauren and I have learned so much about friendship and about recovery with each other. Um, And something that I think is kind of cool, well, there are a few things, but one thing that I think is really cool about the beginning of our friendship is that we were in a group of like sort of mostly thin people. Um, And Lauren and I both sort of had this moment of like, oh, you have PCOS? I have PCOS oh, you're struggling with being fat and having an eating disorder? I'm struggling with that too. And it was kind of like this connection that I think is really um, central to 
recovery friendships, but especially fat recovery friendships, because it really is like this shared experience of feeling like an other. And we found connection in that space together, um, which was just so important to my own journey. And um, we ended up living together our senior year of college and have stayed super close since then, even though she's been all over the world, um, you know, Australia and Hawaii, all the fun places, all the sunny places. Um, and Lauren is currently getting her MSW to be, um, you know, somebody that makes this field a little better. And I'm super excited for us to even work together one day. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. So Lauren, um, should we just like dive into it? I think we should. Yeah. So we are here to talk about dun 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 <laughs> weight loss camp. <laughs> and this is something that is an experience that we do not share. This is not something that I experienced. I did go to sleepaway camp and I think that there was sort of a expectation and assumption that I would lose weight there. And I definitely put that on myself, but I did not go to a weight loss camp. Um, and the more that I hear about your experience, the angrier that I am. Um, yeah. So I really want to talk about it. So tell me about like, what is weight loss camp? How did you end up there? Like, yeah. we're going to talk about how it affected you. But, like, first of all, what the fuck is this whole camp shame, Shane, Pocono trails? What What is this nonsense? <laughs> so I went to two weight loss camps as a child. Um, when I was 10 and I had just moved, um, which was traumatizing in and of itself, my mom decided it would be a really great idea to send me to a weight loss camp. Um I did not have any choice in it. I did really did not want to go. Hmm. I was 10. So I was still a little bit young um, for me. Maybe some children are ready at that point, but I was not um, to be away from my family for that length of time. And it felt very punishing um, because I didn't want to go and I was being forced to go. And the reason that I was being forced to go was that my body wasn't good enough. Um mm-hmm. So weight loss camp is kind of what it sounds like. The premise of it is for children to lose weight. Um, Oftentimes wealthy children, I mean, wealthy parents or parents with some money are going to be the ones sending their kids to a weight loss camp because they can afford it. Mm. Um, And there's an expectation of you're going to get a child back that you want more, I think. Ooh, fuck, man. <laughs> because your child is not enough in some way and that's why you're sending them away so for me when I was sent away I felt kind of ashamed of my body and that I wasn't enough to be kind of in normal society because of my mm. my body it was not a good feeling um at one of the camps that I went to, we had sports that we did. Um, I wasn't involved in them, but some kids were. And we would have other teams come from other camps to our camp. And they were always the normal kids, the thin kids. And we were the fat kids. Oy, oy, oy. And having that binary there um, yeah. really 
caused me to start to view myself as deviant and as separate and not equal to the, the kids who are thin. But, yeah. Um, what a way to create shame in children. And I just want to, like, pause, rewind a second, uh, press play. You said you were 10 years old the first time yeah. you went? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was <sighs> really little. Um, and I don't think that I had thought I mean of course I had thought some about my body and I knew that I didn't really like it I knew it was bigger than other people but um I wouldn't say that I had a disordered relationship with my body yet at that mm-hmm. point um that that did change for me when I went to late loss camp um the first yeah. summer I went to a camp called Camp Pocono Trail and MTV actually did a show about Camp Pocono Trails, and it was called Fat Camp. And um, I felt like I wasn't really taken care of at that camp, being so young. Uh, mm-hmm. My counselors had no idea what they were doing and didn't really care very much. And so it was just a really hard time to be away from my family for the first time. And it was really intense in terms of the amount of exercise and the intensity of exercise that they made us do. Um, and then uh, my mom, I had, a, I had a pretty horrible experience there, to be honest. I was pretty mm-hmm. miserable. And so my mom um, made me go to weight loss camp again by force the next time. But this time it was a different camp. So that's where Camp Shane comes in. Man. (laughs) Their name sounds too much like Camp Shame. And, oh, the shame. I wonder why. (laughs) So was Camp Shane uh, a better experience for you? Like, was it different? I think it was a better experience there. Um, I did feel more taken care of than I did Mm -hmm. at Camp Pocono Trails. I was also a year older. I was 11. And so it felt a little bit easier to be away from my family. But um, I think that I did start to digest the messages a little bit more about the not enoughness of my body. Mm. Um, And... I I digested it to a point where the next two summers I chose to go back because no. I felt like that was what I needed to do. To be Baby enough. Lauren! I know. And I, I did, um, for context, I did um, lose a number of pounds each mm-hmm. summer. But as we know, with the science behind diets that... Uh, you know, it always does come back on, and it did um, before the next year at camp would start. And um, it makes total sense to me that you chose to go back. Like, it seems like yeah. they create this cycle of weight cycling and of being yeah. like, oh, well, those are the people who made me thin. I, you know, need to go back to the woods. <laughs> And go through this experience again. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that um, the camp glorified being thin so much, and then by extension, my peers glorified being thin. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what we felt like we all needed to do to, to get thin in order for our parents to love us, in order for us to be lovable oh. to, if we wanted, you know, romantic partners or friends, um, a lot of the kids at the camp were bullied. And I think that for some people there, they found, I didn't feel this way. I, I'm grateful I wasn't really bullied for my weight but Mm. a lot of children were pretty horrifically and so they found kind of a sense of solace in in meeting other people who Mm. had gone through the same experience but I think that the problem lies in the goal of why we were there to begin with right um like instead of being like instead of being like oh people shouldn't bully us for our body size instead it's like oh well let me go to this place that's gonna change my body and I can connect with people who are also being shamed for existing exactly Mm. yeah I just feel like having a specific place that fat people like have to go to in order to be considered like okay Mm. is like disturbing um, to me and I think that, like, after two summers of, like, being around a place where we were doing really intense exercise all day, every day, we weren't allowed very much food. So we were always hungry. Um, and we were always comparing the amount of weight that we were losing to each other. Mm. It started to create really disordered beliefs and disordered thoughts within me and when you're sent to a camp like this the reason is that your parents believe that you would be more lovable if you were thin and so that is always in the back of your mind as well whether it's conscious or not for me at the time it wasn't conscious but I did want my mom to love me and, and be happy with who I was and so I started to take on wanting to lose weight and I Mm. started to take on compulsively exercising for you know many hours a day and focusing a lot on the numbers um and when I went back those two years it was because I had internalized those messages Mm. of that I'm better as a thin person and um unfortunately for me that didn't end when I stopped going to to weight loss camp yeah I mean how could it like especially at the age so what were the ages that you went there yeah so I went to Camp Pokemon Trails when I was 10 and then I Mm -hmm. went to Camp Sheen when I was 11 12 and 13 what a ripe age to develop views about yourself and your body. Yikes. Uh, so how did that, pardon the pun, but like feed into uh, your relationship with your food and body after you were 13? 
So when I when I came home from weight loss camp every summer, the response from my mom was always, "You look so great. You look so great. Mm. You look even better if you were fifteen pounds." Ah. And that um, sentiment really stuck with me over the years, and that I internalized that voice and the voices of the people at the camp into, you know, thinking those thoughts on my own. Mm. Um, and, okay, this is how I get enough. And so after I was 13, um, I definitely weight cycled quite a bit. Um, I gained a lot of weight once I stopped going to the camp and mm. focused on schoolwork and was just trying to survive high school and when I switched high schools um my eating disorder behavior kicked in with a vengeance I'm sure anybody who struggled with eating knows that big transitions can be a really hard time um and it's kind of glorified in our culture that we need to change our bodies so much before a big transition so I was like, oh my God, I'm going to this new high school. Maybe I'll actually have friends. And like, I just like want to fit in and I want to look good and I want a boy to like me. And so I like focus hardcore on like trying to lose weight, which I did. But I got so deep into eating disorder territory that there was no coming out of it. Mm. Um, when I met you, we were 20-ish, right? Or like 19, probably. Um, no. Yeah, we were probably like 19. Um, where were you at with your relationship and with your food and body when we met? Yeah, so so I had a period of time where I was living in a somewhat smaller body in high school. Mm-hmm. And when I got to college, that transition um, really caused me to kind of go the opposite direction. Um, sometimes you, Molly, talk to me about the concept of a rubber band and when you've been restricting for so long, um, pull back the rubber band and let go. Um, mm. It's going to swing to the other side. And so I was, you know, really not eating mindfully. I was doing more binging and um, also was so excited at the idea of actually having access to food. Yeah. Um, at a dining hall. And I totally I relate to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of just the like, I also wasn't in the home of my mom. So I wasn't having someone observe me eat all the time and, you know, didn't have any comments about the food that I was eating. Mm-hmm. And so I put on a lot of weight and was living in a larger body for uh, many years of college. And that's where I was mm-hmm. when I met you. I was mm-hmm. really, really struggling and just felt really out of control. And I, I was really struggling to accept what I looked like. Um, I didn't really know 100% what I was looking for from the group. Other than that, I was struggling and I, I needed support. Yeah. And I was so grateful to find it in you and the other girls in the group. I felt like I could really relate to you all. Mm-hmm and that you were all really real um I like still really love and care about like some of the other girls from the group too um mm-hmm. so shout out to group therapy yeah man 
Well, and I feel like that's kind of how I ended up there, too, is I was like, I don't really know exactly what I need, but I know that my relationship with food, and I think the group was called Making Peace with Food. Um, I did not make peace with it during that time in my life, but I needed <laughs> I needed something, and I didn't really know what it was, and... That was the first time in my life I had even really associated myself with the word like eating disorder. Um, And that was also the first time in my life that people said to me, like, what if you didn't need to lose weight to actually live your life? And what if that wasn't like the end all be all? And I just remember being totally like shooketh by that. Like, absolutely. Like, man, the first time somebody says that to you is a wild experience. And it took me years after that to get anywhere near accepting that. And it's still a journey. But that was definitely, I think, where my actual recovery started. Even if I, you know, cycled in and out of recovery for a while after that, I think that I don't know if you had this experience of like being like, oh, okay, like I'm here not because I need to lose weight. Like that was the first time I was in a group about food or doing something around food and body that was not about weight loss. Wow. I think for me, I hadn't had much experience of recovery prior to that. I had done like one year with an eating disorder therapist. Oh, yeah. when I was in high school, when I was starting to recognize, like, okay, this is getting really mm-hmm. out of control. Um, so I, I did have that, but I'm, I'm lucky that that therapist never focused on my weight. Not once. Yeah. I'm very lucky. Um, yeah, I guess I just felt like it was such a safe space. And that first group that we had was so special. It was such a special group of people. Yes. Yeah. That um, semester was great. That I felt like some relief from kind of the terror of some of the thoughts in my brain mm-hmm. that were constantly there. Um, and it felt so freeing to be around other people who were like, yeah, I experienced that too. Like that made such a big difference yeah and I think that's why you and I connected so strongly is we both needed an ally mm-hmm. and we also I think everybody in that first group really wanted you know to strive towards recovery yeah yeah and it was powerful to want that and be with other people who wanted that Even if we, you know, didn't become recovered overnight from the group. Yeah. It's so funny to me that, like, at that time in my life, and you you know this, but I was, like, literally telling people that I was recovered. And that was really, like, the beginning of even (laughs) admitting that I had an eating disorder, um, let alone a restrictive one. Like, I was still convinced (laughs) I had binge eating disorder at that point, too. And it's, like... God, God, binge eating disorder is a real fucking thing that I did not have. You did not have. It's just, God, the the internalized fat phobia, man, and the externalized shit of, like, you know, the kind of fat phobic nonsense that we both encountered. Um, So, 
we've kind of gone through like high school and then college where we met. And then I'm kind of curious now, how do you think, you know, like, has any of this changed for you? Because Mm. I think that you, something I've noticed about you over the past, especially the past like year and a half or two years, um, you've really taken a deep dive into like body liberation stuff, which to me is Mm. so cool because that's something that I think, I was dipping my toes into a little bit and then to have you sort of like be somebody that now we can talk about not only recovery, but also about like fat phobia and um, like really the bigger picture stuff is so important to me. And so I'm not, yeah, I guess like I'm asking sort of where are you at now and how do you see like the effects of these camps show up in your life? Yeah. I really appreciate you asking that. Um, yeah, I do feel like, and I'm really grateful to say this, I do feel like I'm at a really different place in my life now than I was mm. when we first met in group. Um, God, thank God. Yeah. We were a mess. Thank God. We were <laughs> quite a mess. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that the journey of recovery is always going to be an ongoing one. And recovery the journey of recovery to me doesn't mean that you never have thoughts about food or your body that aren't kind um, or that you never dip into old behaviors or anything like that. To me, recovery is about values and beliefs Mm -hmm. and, you know, doing your best to live in a way that's consistent with those values and beliefs. Yes, Um, I love that. Thanks, Molly. <laughs> yeah, I really have gotten into body libera- the body liberation movement a lot in the last, as you said, year and a half. For me, the beginning of the pandemic was a little bit of a wake-up call um, in terms of my eating disorder. I was binging a lot, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, I can't do this. I have to get some help. And yeah. I worked with um, a dietitian who helped me stabilize, and I'm really grateful for that. And um, I also joined into a what's called a body grievers group, which was really focused on body image. And oh yeah, that's with um, Brianna Campos, right? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, And then from that, I was able to join a a body liberation book club. And Mm. it's been really freeing learning about the body liberation movement. I still have a lot to learn, but I think that the reason that I started to take recovery so seriously was largely because I decided that I was going to become a therapist. Um, and that this was something that had plagued me so much that I would like to be able to make a difference in the lives of others Mm -hmm. in the area of, um, body image and disordered eating and eating disorders. And it, I have had a lot of trouble accessing care in Hawaii, um, with competent therapists, um, and yeah, you've uh, I... <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it. Let's, I'm yeah. gonna call it out a little bit. You have dealt with some real 
fat phobic nonsense there. I mean, what really I felt like, and I'm curious what this was like for you, but one of the most painful things that I, that I felt like vicarious sort of uh, pain for you was when you told me about the dietitian you had been seeing who encouraged you to like try intuitive eating and like have food freedom. And then you started to gain weight, which like naturally happens sometimes and is a morally neutral thing. And then the dietitian was sort of like, wait, 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 hold on. (laughs) And that to me, I was like, Oh, like what is more harmful than feeling like you have a safe person and embarking on that journey and then being shoved off of it? (laughs) Yeah. I think that every health professional has things that they can bring that are really valuable and areas where they're limited. Mm -hmm. And I gained a lot from that health professional and I'm really grateful for it. But that is true. Like when I started gaining weight from doing more intuitive eating, um, she kept saying like, oh, the weight loss is going to, I mean, the weight gain is going to plateau. Like it's going to plateau. Like that happens. And for me, I just kept gaining weight and gaining weight and gaining weight and gaining weight mm-hmm. and it wasn't plateauing. And so for someone whose biggest fear of gaining weight, it was really scary. And like, what a fat phobic thing to tell people like, oh, like, yeah, don't worry, you'll plateau you eventually. Yeah. Like, God, that shit is told to people all the time with eating disorders, especially thin people who are like in higher levels of care I've heard about so many people be told like no do your meal plan I promise like I won't let you get fat and it's like ah like not only is that so fat phobic but it's also so harmful to that individual even if they never are fat because then that's not truly having a healthy relationship with food and your body it's living in fear of becoming larger and limiting your intake because of that um and it's yeah I don't know that's a little tangent but that that shit pisses me off and then I mean the amount of eating disorder professionals that you've looked into who don't know what health at every size is should not shock me but it's astounding it really is it really is um yeah I would kind of argue that accessing care Um, And I have really amazing insurance, which should be noted, Mm -hmm. because I can't even imagine trying to do this without having either good insurance or having insurance at all. Um, But it really hasn't been possible to access very good care here in Hawaii. So I've had to do a lot of the work on my own Mm -hmm. Um, through finding different resources, reading, Um, (laughs) but it is really important to me. I don't want to be a provider who perpetuates these ideologies, as you were saying, with that one comment that that nutritionist or dietitian made, what she was saying was erasure of the fact that there is body diversity Mm -hmm. and that people naturally their bodies fall to different places and they're in different shapes different numbers you know Mm -hmm. and that's okay so absolutely 
And when someone does start intuitively eating, we don't know where their body is going to fall because if yeah. And that can change and it's dependent on like so many things. I think the whole set point thing has also been like co-opted by diet culture and by fat phobic stuff. Like I've seen, like there's this one TikToker that I follow who is like, no, like I'm going to go on a weight loss journey because I don't think I'm at my set point. And that is shit that I have tried to pull before. Not me, but my eating disorder, like, part of my brain has tried to pull before too of like well I don't think this is where my body naturally falls like bitch who are you to tell your body where it's gonna naturally fall and yeah a lot of the time it is co-opted of like people assume that your quote-unquote set point is lower and that that will stay the same across your life and across seasons of change and trauma and stress and Like, what if that's not the case? Like, what if you gain weight at some point? Like, that can't be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, definitely. I think that, like, something I've learned is that our bodies are always changing. Mm -hmm. And our bodies also respond to a lot of different things in our lives, naturally. Yeah. And so if we attach a lot of meaning and significance to our body changing, um then we're always going to be in a place of disorder. Mm. Absolutely. So I think to kind of answer your question, I know that we've gone on a lot of tangents. Yeah, (laughs) we're good at those. (laughs) I think that, you know, like anybody else, we, you and I are still living within a society that's bound by the constraints of diet culture. And that in and of itself is really exhausting. And trying to push back against that Mm -hmm. can also be really exhausting. And so, you know, it is something that I am still working through. And I need to continue to do my own work so that I can get to a point where I can be helpful to others. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is a line in Sonia Renee Taylor's book, The Body is Not an Apology, where she, she talks about, you know, questioning where our thoughts are coming from. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I do with myself a little bit. And I think that a lot of my thoughts that come up for me are coming from those days when I was at weight loss or coming from my mom who was telling me mm. I just needed to lose 15 more pounds to be attractive to be Ugh. lovable yeah and you know it I would be lying if I said that it doesn't still affect me I think as I as I said recovery is an ongoing process um and it's taken a lot of work to start to deconstruct some of the belief systems that weight loss camp has Mm. yeah it was the very definition of fat phobia and I'd like to be doing actively um anti-fat phobic work and Mm. activism around fat phobia so (laughs) yeah absolutely and I um I know we sort of, we've talked about this before, but one of the reasons that we started talking about it 
just earlier tonight is that you had found this article um and i'm gonna kind of go through i'll link that in the show notes as well um but uh i am so grateful to you for sharing your story with this experience um because i know that there are people listening who can relate um and community and connection really is that antidote to shame and to this internalized shit. And I know that because of our relationship and because of the ways that we've stayed connected and helped each other through, um, you know, our own journeys. One thing that I thought would be interesting to sort of touch on before we finish up is, um, having a friend who is in recovery when you're in recovery. Um, And I know that we've both like sort of figured out how to navigate that over the years, especially living together. I know that both of us like struggled at different points during that year and it kind of freaked each other out both times. Um, But like, what would you, what advice would you give to people who want to be friends with somebody um, when both of you are like in recovery? Because I have some thoughts, but I'm, like, curious what your thoughts are. My advice would be to be patient. Hmm. Because when you're struggling in an area and another person is struggling in an area, you might meet certain milestones in recovery before the other person. And they might yeah. meet certain milestones before you. And you can feel like you're falling behind. Or they can feel like they're falling behind. But, like it's a journey and you were on the learning about body liberation you know track far before I was and you were really patient with me as I navigated my own journey um Mm -hmm. I think during a lot of the time that you were learning about that I was living in Australia and still pretty deep into my into my eating disorder um trying to do recovery but not really having the support around it and being around you and listening to you um is what you know eventually it's what made me want to learn about it I was like wow Molly is doing yeah and I think that it's important to be patient with other people because you know, they're, they're on their own path. And I think the best thing that you can do is to lead by example, like focus on your own recovery, your own journey yes. and be supportive to them in the ways that you can. If things are triggering to you, voice that, be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, if there are boundaries that you need to set in what you can and can't talk about, set those. Yep. And We've done that before. We have. And, you know, just be patient and have faith in your friend that they are going to get to a leader point in recovery when they need to and when they're ready to because yeah. they might have limiting factors in their lives that they're just they're not able to be there yeah or they're not ready true so and our recoveries have looked really different and i know that that's something we've talked yeah. about too is like There's no, um, God, I'm all about the puns today, but like one size fits all when it comes to recovery. And um, I think that we also have a pretty good 
uh, grounding in an acknowledgement that, like, you can't save the other person, you can't yeah. fix them, and you can't, like, be their recovery coach. Like, neither of us feel, I would hope, um, like, a responsibility to the other person of, like, oh, like, your recovery is dependent on me. Yeah. And I need to fix you or I need to pull you out of a relapse or I need to, you know, like all of that kind of stuff. And I think that that's also something we've learned over the years, too, in terms of like boundaries around. Um, and um, one of my favorite, like, <laughs> just things that I remember somebody saying about recovery friendships is that and I think this was more about like treatment friendships is that a lot of the time people are really eager to become friends with somebody that they met in treatment or in recovery um, because you have that shared experience, but you also need to have more in common outside of that. And yeah. this person was like, you know, recovery friendships are weird because you know somebody's like deepest traumas and shame, but you don't know like their favorite band. And you want to have a friendship yeah. with somebody where like, you know, things about them other than, and you have things to talk about that aren't yeah. about recovery because I will say like Lauren and I talk about everything and anything not recovery and body related. And we're both in a place now where we can talk about recovery and body stuff together in a way that boosts both of us up. And yeah. that is really special and precious. And I'm so glad um, that we have like figured that out over the years. Aww, thanks Molly. Yeah. I think <laughs> something that's really special about, Molly and I's uh, becoming friends is if we didn't meet in a recovery group, we would have met anyways. Yes. Um, because yes. we actually, we didn't know it at the time, but we were both counseling minors. And yes. Molly knew she wanted to go into the field. I didn't think I did. <laughs> I was studying film. <laughs> and, but I'm going into the field as well. And so that is something that Molly and I have a lot to talk about. And it it relates mm -hmm. then to um, to our recovery journeys, but yeah. also we can talk about, you know, kind of some of our thoughts and, and fears and feelings going into this field and what mom is already doing in this field. And yeah, I think that it's really important to have a friend, at least a friend, who can understand the experience of having had or working through an eating disorder because... Mm -hmm isolating especially when Molly was talking about access to care um I was so grateful to have Molly to talk to about that mm. and she could empathize and understand in a way that maybe somebody else wouldn't be able to if they had never dealt with trying to access care and struggling and yeah. um and also experiencing like fatphobia in care and right. and um as you said we also do have a lot of other things that connect us to which are which is really special I think otherwise we wouldn't have continued to be friends through the yeah. long distance between us. Um, right now I'm living in Hawaii and Molly is living in upstate New York. Yeah. And so, and yet we still stay connected. So in a way I am grateful to our eating disorders for connecting the two of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you, Camp Shane, for that. <laughs> <laughs> Camp Sherm. <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, um, it's been really lovely to be able to have a space in our friendship to be able to mm -hmm. talk about this kind of thing 
it dissolves a lot of the shame around, you know, some of the thoughts and feelings and behaviors that come up with, you know, issues around our bodies and food. And the fact that we can talk about where, you know, those things even surfaced from is important. So I'm really grateful that you allowed me to talk about my experience with weight loss camp. I was a little bit rambly, but. um, No, it was great. (laughs) But I think it's just important to talk about like, okay, these are where some of my thoughts and feelings stem from because. Um, there are other people who've gone to weight loss camps, a lot of other people who that's been a big part of their journeys. And some of them mm-hmm. are still on the diet culture train, which is okay. You know, they're on their own journeys, but some of them are wanting to seek solace from some of the trauma that was inflicted upon them at those camps. Yeah. And I hope for those people that they can know that they're not alone in, and they're not they're not unlovable for living Mm. in a different body and that honestly they never should have been sent to that place to begin with they're not deviant and that was really fucked up that they had to go there yeah that was fucked up that you had to go there it really was though like what the (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) Oh, what the heck I just and you know yeah it was the thinking at the time and still is I guess Mm -hmm. yeah hopefully uh, stories like yours can start to turn the tide so thank you for talking through all of this with me Thanks so much for having me, Molly. I love you. (laughs) I love you too. All right, y'all. Well, that wraps up episode two of season two of My Big Fat Recovery. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I really enjoyed talking to Lauren about this topic. It's something that we've chatted about a little bit before, um, but really diving into it with her was a very moving experience for me, given, um, you know, what I've witnessed in her recovery and in her journey to um, learning more about body liberation and really diving into that work. Um, So yeah, as hard as it was, I'm sure to hear some of that, I Um, Hope that we all got something out of that conversation. I know that I did just in thinking about, um, you know, the power of learning and leaning into your own journey and um, yeah, that kids deserve better. So thank you so much for listening. Um, We're not going to do any other segments this week just because the episode is already long enough, Um, but I will see you back next time uh, and thank you so much for listening. If you're not already following the podcast on social media, head over to Instagram at my big fat recovery podcast, where you can get updates about the show, uh, send messages to me, that sort of thing. Um, 
and where I post uh, sometimes uh, content from other people's accounts and stuff that I'm looking at. And um, you can also follow me specifically on Instagram on my recovery account, which is at Molly in Progress, and that same username on TikTok at Molly in Progress, where I post a lot of recovery and body liberation content.